Wakanda Forever is storming the box office, and I have my spoiler thoughts on the sequel to Black Panther right now. This review is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Get premium wireless from just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash Merle, and stay tuned after this review for more info. Hello, everybody, and welcome to my spoiler review for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I'm up a little bit later than I anticipated because I had a complete camera failure yesterday. Just, it bricked on me, so I had to readjust some stuff. I'm filming this on my phone. I moved some of the lighting around, so if I don't quite look as sharp as I usually do, or if you don't think I look sharp, then, you know, if I look about the same, uh, then I apologize, but I had to do some improvisation technically after doing a lot of troubleshooting, but that's not the story here. The story is Black Panther Wakanda forever. I did my non-spoiler review of the movie. That came out on Friday. If you want to check that out, if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want to know any details, then you can go do that right now. But if you have seen the movie or if you don't care about hearing what happened in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, then this is the review for you because I'm going to go into all the stuff that I couldn't say without spoiling anything in my other review. So let's start with where the movie starts, really. And it's one of the question marks that I think was surrounding this film, and that is the death of T'Challa. How are they going to handle it? Was it going to be something related to him being Black Panther? Was it going to be something more closely related to what happened with Chadwick Boseman? And I liked the way that they handled it. I know that some people thought that maybe he should go out in kind of a more quote-unquote heroic way, saving the world, but I think to mirror what actually happened with Chadwick Boseman, to have T'Challa die from illness, from something that nobody knew about, from something that couldn't be cured— I think that helps to strengthen that bond between what the audience felt for this character and what the audience felt for the actor who played him, because Chadwick Boseman connected to people so viscerally and so powerfully, and he put so much of himself into every single role that he played. It hit right for me, and I think it was probably also instructive and helpful for the actors who could tie their character's feelings even more closely into their own, because I'm sure that making this movie was part of the process for them as well. Having Shuri so intricately involved in trying to replicate the heart-shaped herb as the time was running down and trying to save T'Challa and not being able to do that, that played such a big role in her transition into becoming the Black Panther later on in the movie. And it also fed into her anger, that anger that she almost gives into in the same way that that Killmonger did. To have Shuri trying to save T'Challa and not be able to, I think that that was a better character beat for her than her just grieving his death. It made it much, much more personal. The only thing that I might have changed was I wish that we would have seen a little bit more of the wider world reaction specifically to T'Challa's death. Perhaps seen a representative of the Avengers making some sort of a statement, understanding that while Wakanda was grieving around the world, T'Challa was also being remembered. But I also understand the decision to keep it focused on Wakanda, to keep it focused on Ramonda and Shuri and the people that were closest to T'Challa. So it's something that was kind of on a, it would have been nice to have seen list, but I also understand why they did it the way they did it. And let's talk about the new Black Panther, at least for this movie, and we'll see going forward. I think we all pretty much knew what direction this was headed, that Shuri was the next in line. The marketing toward the end really all but confirmed it. And again, from a character perspective, I like how they wrote it with Shuri and bringing in the ancestral plane and her learning how to be the protector. What kind of protector is she going to be? Is she going to be filled with rage? Is she going to be going after revenge? Or is she going to be looking for justice? That was really good, and I thought the movie handled it really well. 
Again, my only qualm would be that I wish there had been a little bit more discussion about who it was going to be, even if it was already going to be Shuri, because I think that Nakia could certainly have had a strong claim to taking up that role. I actually thought for a while that Okoye, because she was exiled from the Dora Milaje, that perhaps this was a, a misdirect on the part of the marketing and Shuri wasn't going to become Black Panther and it was going to be Okoye and it was a, a redemption arc for her. And so I, I think the movie could have, in just a minute or two of screen time, just had a discussion between those characters as to who it should be instead of just jumping straight to oh well it's going to be Shuri. Okoye also I feel got really short shrift in this movie uh, to a certain degree. The first couple of acts she got a lot to do but that third act really that suit that they gave her that Midnight Angel suit I know that it's from the comic books but that did not translate well to the screen at all and I just Denai Gurira is such a great actress and her face is so expressive she brings such a physicality to that role of Okoye and to just put her behind it looked like a blue predator suit suit. I was not a fan of that. That really kind of took me out of that third act and made it feel more generic and marvel by just sticking one of your characters in a suit because we've seen that done so many times. I, I, I really do wish, even if you're not going to have her take over the role of Black Panther, that they would have given Okoye a better third act role than just putting her in this new suit that, by the way, Okoye was right, was very ugly and not attractive at all. One of my favorite scenes was when Shuri went to the ancestral plane and did not see T'Challa, did not see her mother or her father, but instead saw Killmonger. That's something that maybe I should have seen it coming, but again, it makes sense because these are two characters for vastly different reasons who are driven by anger and rage and want revenge. And I liked that confrontation because going into the movie, or at least coming out of the last one, the two characters that were perhaps the least similar are Shuri and Killmonger. And yet we see through what happens in this movie that Shuri is brought to the brink of almost achieving what Killmonger did not achieve and becoming a vengeful Black Panther. And so I liked that scene, and Michael B. Jordan is always great to see in any movie, and especially to be able to bring him back to this franchise. I do wish we gotten a little bit more of Shuri as the Black Panther, and again, I think that that's where the bigness of the third act got in the way, because I liked that one-on-one -on -one confrontation with Namor, and the fact that it was kind of happening with this huge fight going on behind them in the background... I would have been fine with just that confrontation, this this one-on-one -on -one duel. But there's something really interesting that I noticed about it, and I, I don't know if anyone else has pointed this out, but you have a very similar beat in this fight, almost exactly, actually, to the fight at the end of Batman v Superman. You have Namor on the ground, you have Shuri with a spear to his neck, and then right when she's about to strike the killing blow, we see these flashes where she understands how similar they are. And we see, you know, uh, Namor's birth and his family against Shuri's childhood and her family and the fact that Wakanda and Talokan aren't that different as far as kingdoms go. And it's actually the exact same principle as Save Martha. The fact that you have this shared humanity, this this commonality uh, with your enemy, this person who you think that you have to destroy, and that is what stays your hand and keeps you from killing them. It's almost exactly the same thing, but the execution here, I think, is what worked. And in a way, it almost goes back to Batman v Superman and says that it's not necessarily the idea of, oh, we both have mother's name, Martha. It's the execution. And I think watching Black Panther Wakanda Forever 
Batman v Superman could have been regarded much more differently, especially in that moment, if they had executed that idea more closely to what they did in this film. But that was something when I was driving home, I'm like, wait a minute, that's like the exact same thing just done in a different way. I did think for a moment at the end that they were going to wipe out T'Challa's entire family when Shuri took that spear all the way through her, completely impaled. I mean, you have to wonder, one does wonder how she could survive that. But Tony Stark survived a very similar injury in Avengers Infinity War, so it's it's not like we haven't seen that before. And this is a comic book movie. People get injured all the time, and they just kind of get up and brush it off. There would have been some kind of a very tragic, beautiful thing to having the entire family together in the astral plane and then the next chapter of the Black Panther saga is those who remain in Wakanda, whether it's M'Baku or Nakia or Okoye, taking over and carrying on that legacy. But at the same time, how much tragedy can you put into one movie? I mean, there were people in my theater when that happened that were just going like, no, you can't do that because you already killed T'Challa. You kill Ramonda in the middle of the movie. Now it looks like you're going to kill Shuri. I do think that there is a certain segment of the audience that would have been really put off by that because it just would have seemed like it was too much. So part of me does kind of say like, that would have been an interesting route to go, to, to move away from this family completely. But the other part says, no, you, you can't. You can't end on that note because it's just it's just almost too bleak. Even even as beautiful as it might be to think of the family being reunited, it's just too much. One thing I wish that they'd given us a little bit more clarity on is Umbaku and what his role is because we see that Shuri does not show up to take the throne and it seems like Umbaku is going to be the king of Wakanda but it also appears that Shuri is still going to be Black Panther, the protector, and I'm fine with that, but again, I think the movie made it a little unclear as to exactly what was happening or what was going to happen moving forward. Speaking of Umbaku, Winston Duke, and I said it in my non-spoiler review, he wasn't in the movie as much as I would have liked for him to have been, but he just drinks in that role and and makes the most out of every single moment. The mileage he got out of the word cool, cool, Khan, just in that one speech, was so great. It does seem like they are setting him up to have a more integral role in a third Black Panther film if there is one and there's been no official confirmation yet. And I hope that if they do make one, that he will be right there in the mix, right in the forefront, not just kind of like, oh, we're going to go to Wakanda, he's going to sit on the throne, kind of like he already has done, and then we're going to go off and do the other action. I would love to see M'Baku get promoted to co-lead of this franchise, or at least in the same roles that we've seen Nakia and Okoye through these first couple movies. Let's talk for a few minutes about Angela Bassett because this franchise was so lucky to have her on board from the beginning. She crushed her role. There was so much to deal with. I don't know if Letitia Wright could have shouldered it all on her own. And that's not an insult to Letitia Wright, by the way. It just means that it's hard for one character to take all that on her shoulders in a different world if Ramonda had not made it out of the first Black Panther film or not made it back from, you know, the Thanos snap and all of that stuff. The fact that she and Angela Bassett were there to represent the family and to take this story from beginning to end was so important. And I really think that Angela Bassett carried much of the first half of the movie. She is a world-class actress, and that's not news to anybody, but the way that she was able to shoulder the resolve, the grief, the anger, that scene in the United Nations where she basically put the world in their place, uh, exposed the people that were out there trying to 
exploit Wakanda and take the vibranium because they thought that Wakanda was weak and they could come in and take those resources and just shut them down cold in that scene. That was such a great reintroduction to her power as the ruler of Wakanda. I honestly didn't see her dying in this movie, and I, and I kind of wish that they hadn't killed her. Uh, again, I understand the sacrifice, but I don't think it was handled necessarily in the most impactful way. It's something that just sort of happened. So in retrospect, I do wish they'd handled her death a little bit differently, given her more of an impact in that moment. But Ramonda and Angela Bassett's impact on the movie overall was very profound and very striking. I know people are talking award stuff. I, I don't know if that's going to happen because there is such a mountain to climb with movies like Black Panther Wakanda Forever in the performance categories, but she was absolutely a standout, and, and what a way to leave a legacy for this character who, because of her role, was many times in the background of the action in the previous films, taking that foreground, being the queen of Wakanda, holding things together. It was just so well done and so well performed. I talked about Riri Williams in my non-spoiler review and the fact that while I enjoyed the character, I really didn't feel like she had a place in the movie or at least not a place that was necessary for her to be in there. She reminded me a little bit of uh, Black Widow in Iron Man 2 and Spider-Man, honestly, in Captain America Civil War in the sense that they were both well played and I liked those characters, but they were obviously put in this movie, this particular movie, to set them up for their own future projects, in this case, a Disney Plus series that we'll be getting in the near future. I honestly think I, I would have preferred to have established her in Ironheart because I don't think they did a lot of establishment of her character, or at least her background in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I think the things in this movie that were specifically attributed to her could have been given to other people or rewritten to, to have other organizations behind them. I think you can still have Shuri be kidnapped with without the whole rescue element. It really just sort of clouded a very profound story that was unfolding, uh, not just in Wakanda, but with Namor and his people. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy any of that action. It, it just, to me, was a detractor from the other stuff that we were seeing that was so great. I like Dominic Thorne. I'm interested to see what she's going to do going forward. I am glad that she left that suit behind in Wakanda because, quite frankly, I was not sad to see it go. Much like the Midnight Angel armor, I didn't care much for Riri Williams' suit. It was just a little too cartoonish for me. It really did look like a 90s kids' TV cartoon suit. And, again, it just didn't vibe with the whole feel of the movie. We'll keep talking about Black Panther Wakanda forever in just a second, but before we do... I I would like to thank the sponsor for this review, Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, and now for the plot twist. No, there's not one. Seriously, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. That's it. No hidden contracts or surprise fees when you get your bill. No deals that sign you up for a streaming service on a trial basis that you probably already have or don't care about and then end up paying for despite the fact that you don't care about who has exclusive rights to Harry and the Hendersons. Just me? There is none of that, and I've been through those contract talks, those endless waits in the wireless store when you're trying to get a straight answer about what it is you're signing up for and how much it's going to cost, then a month later you figure out that all of it was wrong. You don't get any of that, because with Mint Mobile, it is crystal clear. For anyone who hates their phone bill, and that's everybody, right? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. They also give you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. 
All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can also use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. You, yes you, can get premium wireless service from just 15 bucks a month with no unexpected plot twists at mintmobile.com slash Merle. That's mintmobile.com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L. Seriously, this will make your wallet very happy at mintmobile.com slash Merle. My mother told stories about a place like this, a protected land with people that never have to leave, that never have to change who they were. What reason do you have to reveal your secret to the world? I talked a lot about Namor in my non-spoiler review. The one thing I couldn't really talk about is the nature of the Talokan kingdom and the fact that it was a mirror to Wakanda largely because they also were able to achieve so much of what they could do through the use of vibranium. And I know some people would say like, well, wait a minute, if you keep introducing vibranium into the MCU, then it's not quite as special. And I would agree if they gave everybody vibranium, but I like this idea of Wakanda believing for their entire existence that they were the only ones to have this miracle substance and they are a special nation and they, they have this advanced technology and nobody else can access it. And you almost are throwing everybody for a loop. Obviously T'Challa's family is on their heels because of what happened to him. And then you have Wakanda who's now dealing with the fact that like, well, wait a minute, we're not the only people that have this. There are people out here who can match our strength and match what we can do. And for the first time, Wakanda is sort of catching up they're behind the curve. And I think that that's a very interesting dynamic. So I like that they tied Vibranium into Namor, that they changed Atlantis to Talokan and tied it into Mayan culture. I just think it makes it a little more interesting. I know that some people get very connected to the canon of the comic books, but I think as long as you stay true to the spirit of the character, and I think that Namor did stay very true to the spirit of the character in the comic books. Sometimes he's an a-hole. Sometimes he's your best friend. He's going to be playing all sides. All he really cares about a lot of the time is his kingdom. And he doesn't care much for the surface world at all. I think all of that is there. And that's the most important part. And with Talokan, basically, in much the same way as Wakanda, sort of hiding from this dark history of conquest, I think it also puts Namor and Killmonger on similar footing, but not derivative of one another. The scene where he talks about his origin and where his people came from and going on land to bury his mother and burning the people that had hurt his family and the idea of this war against the surface world, you understand where he's coming from. He's not just an arch villain. He's somebody who has reasonable goals and beliefs that if you were in his position, maybe you would do the same thing. And I think those are the most interesting kinds of antagonists. I think it's a really great lesson on how to introduce a character that I think is going to have great importance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe overall, and yet he's introduced in this movie that makes him important to this movie and this universe first and foremost. So many times we've seen characters that are just thrown into whatever is the next movie up in some cinematic universe because uh, they need to get marketed and established, and it doesn't really make that much sense for them to be there. Here, it makes total sense why Namor was introduced in this film, what his role is in regard to Wakanda, and also why you could see him in future projects. And I know that this was reportedly part of the original Black Panther Wakanda Forever script, so I don't know what exactly 
exactly was changed or kept the same, but I thought that this was really, really well done. One thing I hope they lean into a bit more is the abilities of Namor and his kingdom and his people, because I loved that siren-like ability that they were able to have on that first attack that we see, and that was just a very creepy scene, and I, I know they, they referenced it a couple of other times, but I would honestly love to see just like a whole other movie of them attacking perhaps in conjunction with our heroes, perhaps against some of our heroes, but to really see even more what their power is when it is fully unleashed because they are a mighty, mighty force in the MCU now. We got an unexpected appearance from Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, who we find out is the ex-wife of Everett Ross, which, you know, Okay, it's, it seems a little sitcom-y. Of all the things that didn't fit in this movie, this to me was the thing that didn't fit the most. I didn't need any of this stuff. It all seemed like set up for Thunderbolts. It completely detracted from what else was going on. It really wasn't even in the same tone. I really do think that the character that was most impacted by the pandemic kind of shuffling everything up, Valentina and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I have some sympathy for the fact that the pandemic changed a lot of plans, but I still don't see a whole lot of focus with what she's supposed to be doing in this universe, and I think that it's going to be maybe another year or two before it really, really becomes clear. This is one of the only Marvel films I can think of that did not have a end credit scene of any kind, not even a trailer for a future movie. We just have the mid credit scene, which is really just a continuation of the final scene, and that introduces the concept that T'Challa had a child with Nakia, who Nakia has been protecting from the world outside. The child's name is Toussaint, but we learn that his Wakanda name is T'Challa, and it is a very clear nod to the fact that this legacy will continue. And I'm on board with this. Again, it may seem a bit indulgent, and, and some people might even say a little cheap to bring out a kid and say like, see, he had a son. But I think the important thing to leave people in mind of at the end of this film is the idea of legacy. And T'Challa's legacy and Chadwick Boseman's legacy was over this entire film. It left things on this note of hope. And I think that that was important. I like that we didn't really see Shuri truly grieve until this scene when she burns the ceremonial robes and we see for the first time in the movie since that great Marvel title card, those shots of Chadwick Boseman as she's remembering her time with her brother. I think that that was a catharsis that we needed at the end of this movie, that Shuri couldn't have done in the middle because she needed that anger and rage and grief to kind of go through her journey as Black Panther to save that for the end and then to end on this little note of hope, whether they develop that or whether they don't develop it. I think that that was kind of a beautiful thing. And and I can almost feel Ryan Coogler wanting to say, I want to end the movie this way. I, I don't want to end things sad. I want to end things with this look toward the future. Now, one thing that, that people have brought up, and, and it's a very tough subject to discuss, is should there have been a recasting of the role? And I remember just over two years ago, right after Chadwick Boseman passed away, almost everybody was saying, like, you can't recast this role. It always felt like there was this rush to decide, to say, we're going to recast Chadwick or we're not going to recast Chadwick. And I feel like the trigger was pulled very early on because this movie was only delayed by six months, despite the fact that the entire thing, really, had to be completely rewritten. The story had to be completely reconceptualized. And for that drastic change to happen and for there to be a delay, really, of only six months is an impressive feat creatively, but also I do wish that whether the decision would have been to recast T'Challa or not to recast T'Challa, I do wish that there had been more time allowed to make it. When looking at some of the other things in this movie, 
there's so much about it that because it's fresh feels so real and it's great about this movie but i also wonder how much of the decision making in it was also because well we have to make these decisions fresh and still in our grief because we've got to get this movie made we got to start filming we've got to get we got to hit this date 2022 is on its way and and it feels like there's a bit of an inflexibility because you're part of the machine I would have been very happy to wait until 2023 and have that decision made six months later. But at the same time, there's something about giving Chadwick Boseman sort of eternal ownership over this character. That's also wonderful. The last thing is, I think I may actually do a separate video of this in the near future, but this was the last project in phase four of Marvel. It covered 15 different movies and TV shows. I was looking at all of the different stuff, and this was in the top third. I'd say this is probably number five or six as far as what I enjoyed. But I also realized that I had strong feelings, really like, I really, really like this, or really, really like even parts of this, about less than half of this. Some people would say like, oh, well, it's because you've seen so much Marvel stuff. You're over it. I think part of it may also be that the quality is dropping, that the focus isn't there. I think you saw part of it in this movie. The focus was not there in this movie the same way that it was there in the best Marvel films. And a lot of people would say like, well, that's because of the circumstances, etc. But I don't necessarily think that's so because the things that had to do with Chadwick Boseman's death and T'Challa's death and Namor and Wakanda, those were the strong parts of the movie. It was everything else that kind of derailed everything. Going back to the well of the big third act battle and bringing in the side characters that didn't need to be there, that doesn't have anything to do with Chadwick Boseman or having to redo the plot of this movie. It has to do with this machine that this movie was a part of. I know that there's a directive from Disney to deliver, 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 but if you're delivering some great stuff, a lot of good stuff, some mediocre stuff, and then a few things that have been just statistically some of the least liked things critically and audience-wise that you've ever done, I think you've got to take a good hard look at that. I don't think you can just like kind of hand wave it off and say like, oh, that's just a bunch of people that, you know, whatever. We are approaching another big Marvel event. We are approaching the introduction of the X-Men. The M-word, Mutant, was dropped in this very movie. Namor says that his abilities come because of a mutation, because he is a mutant. So that's the second time that we've heard that brought in along with Ms. Marvel. Fantastic Four on the horizon, X-Men on the horizon, so many big stakes things coming up. And Marvel, I think, has got to be at its best because things can change very quickly. Wakanda Forever was a good movie. I didn't think it was great. I thought that it was good. I think out of their last 15 projects, Marvel's made three or four great things. There were some high highs very high highs in this movie some of the best stuff we've seen in any marvel movie but there was also some stuff in this movie that i thought made it very inconsistent much more inconsistent than the first black panther movie that kept it out of for me that top tier of marvel films despite the greatness that was in it and that could be a story going forward who knows so those are my spoiler thoughts on black panther wakanda forever what did you think is this in that s plus a plus tier of marvel movies for you did the greatness of what you loved in this movie outweigh the stuff that you didn't like or did you love everything 
Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, thank you so much for watching. I'll be right back here very soon with a report on the opening weekend for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. And I also have some big reviews coming up. I have a review of Glass Onion, the second Knives Out movie, which will be coming out in the next week. I'm excited to talk about that. As we get into awards season as well, I'm going to be talking about more movies like The Banshees of Sharon and some of these smaller films that have been my favorites of the year as I also start to discover them. The Fablemans is one that I can't wait to see, the latest from Steven Spielberg. So things are heating up even as the temperatures cool down here on the channel. Thank you as always for watching. Until next time, stay safe and I'll see you then. Bye.